Lord, I thank you that you are alive. You are alive. You've risen from the dead. That's why we are here today. That's why, Lord, we have a hope. And I know that, God, today you have a message here for everyone. I pray that I will open our hearts, our mind, our spirit, ready to hear from you. I pray also for your anointing on your servant here. Winston, as you bring forth your word, I pray that, God, you'll, you will guide him and help him speak through him powerfully so that, God, we will respond in faith and in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning. Morning, church. It's a joy to enjoy your privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Can you hear me at the back? Is it? So this morning, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. And this, this slide gives you a recap of what we've covered so far, right? the ground we've covered so far, the various chapters and the different themes we've talked about. And this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 15, right? the second last chapter in 1 Corinthians. And the theme is the resurrection. resurrection. And I've entitled my sermon this morning, First Fruits. First Fruits. I will be covering the first half of 1 Corinthians 15 from verses 1 to 34. And Deacon Raj will cover the second half. I want to start with a quote. The truest darkness is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. The truest darkness is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. Who knows where this quote comes from? Who said this? Oh, the wings. Good try, no? But, uh, somewhere along that line? Hobbit, no? Batman? Oh my Getting further. Actually, it's okay, la, quite close. La. It's Lois Lane from Justice League. Actually, I didn't know this myself, but I uh, heard it from someone. So I thought you all would know. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation that you felt hopeless? In a situation that you felt there was no light at the end of the tunnel? Perhaps in your school, in your studies, in your work, you have difficulties and challenges that just seem insurmountable. They just don't go away, no matter how hard you try. Perhaps you have relatives, friends, or yourself, illnesses that don't seem to get better over time. Or perhaps you're just in the middle of your daily routines, at school, at work. You're just wondering to yourself, is there all there is to life? Is there more to life than this? You know, in all these situations, there's one commonality. That is, we are all searching for this thing called hope. Hope. You see, friends, many of us, you know, humans can endure almost anything on earth. Pain, suffering, sickness, persecution, even the threat of death. But humans cannot survive long without hope. You take away hope, the belief that one day the light will return, no matter how dark it is, and no matter how strong a person is, he or she will soon fade away. Hope gives us strength to endure whatever comes. Without hope, life is dark, despondent, and meaningless. So this morning's sermon, I'm going to touch on this issue. What is our hope as Christians? And how does that shape way in which we live. What is our hope as Christians and how does that shape the way we live? 
So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. The context of this chapter can be summarized in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? From here, we can infer that apparently, in the Corinthian church, there were some people who were saying that resurrection from the dead is not possible. Bodily resurrection after death is just not possible. And by extension, Christ could not have been raised from the dead. Right? And so I'm going to summarize for you Paul's argument in response to these people. Paul's argument in this chapter is very long, so I'll just focus on a few key verses and, and outline it for you. And his argument can be divided into broadly three parts. So part 1, verses 1 to 11. And I read from verses 3 to 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve. So Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected, and was seen by many eyewitnesses. Paul makes it very clear right, that he was seen by many people to emphasize that it, was a, it truly did happen. It was a historical fact. Okay? So this is part 1. Part 2, verses 12 to 19. I read from verses 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. In other words, what Paul is saying is that because Christ has been raised, we have hope of forgiveness of sins. Because of Christ's resurrection, we have hope beyond this life. We have hope beyond this life. And what is that hope? Part 3, verses 20 to 28. I read from verses 22 to 24. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who believe, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority so Paul here delivers the punchline, right, the climax to his argument. He says, not only has Christ been raised, one day we too will be resurrected with him when he comes again, through him. Right? Not only has Christ been raised, we too one day will be resurrected with him when he comes again. And then the glorious end will come when Christ defeats all his enemies and he reigns over all. Okay? So three parts to his argument. So in summary, right, first of all, Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected and seen by many eyewitnesses. Second, because Christ has been raised, we have hope of forgiveness of sins. Third, one day we too will be resurrected with Him when He comes again, and Christ will reign as King over all. Friends, these are very important truths for us. We cannot understate them. These are fundamental to our Christian faith. We need to be fully convinced of them, not just in our heads, but also in our hearts. 
our souls. I asked at the beginning, what is our Christian hope? The Christian hope is the certainty of our resurrection. We have a better future beyond death, and it is eternal. It is eternal. It is not just wishful thinking. It is a certainty because of Christ's resurrection. Our eternal fate is tied to Christ, who has been raised. That is our hope. But some of you may be wondering and thinking to yourself, right? Um, we are already familiar with this, right? We've heard it before. We teach it in church. We confess it at our baptism. Right? We believe in it. So what does that mean? Does that mean that um, sermon's over, we can all go home, go for an early lunch today? Is there more to it than this? There's this saying, don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Paul was addressing a very specific issue in the Corinthian church. Right? A very specific issue. But we should not miss the bigger picture that he is referring to. What is this bigger picture? We are in the middle of a grand cosmic story of what God is doing in this world. We are in the middle of a grand cosmic story of what God is doing in this world. And the key to understanding this is this word, first fruits. First fruits. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This word, first fruits, is, is like the secret code word that helps you to crack the mystery. Right? It's like a key that opens the door right, to understand this, this brave new world. What is the meaning of first fruits? First fruits are basically the first produce of an agricultural season right, from the land, especially when it's given in offering to God. Right? So, you know, as a farmer, the first fruits that come out from the land, you take that and offer it to God. These are first fruits. But to understand this fully, we have to understand the Jewish background that Paul came from, that he was referring to. And in particular, we need to understand Israel's festivals. Right? Israel's festivals. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, God prescribes a series of national festivals that Israel has to observe when they enter the Promised Land. Okay, there are actually seven of them. Right? Um, I've simplified it here on this slide. And I'm going to talk to them very briefly in the interest of time. So the first one is actually two festivals. It's Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But they come together. And what happens at Passover? You may be familiar with this, right? At Passover, they remember what God did in Egypt. If you recall, in, when they were slaves in Egypt, right? God raised up Moses. And then God commanded them, take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorposts. Right? Put it on your doorposts. And that night, the angel of death swept through Egypt, right? And he passed over the Israelites' homes. He struck the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And after that, Pharaoh said, go, leave. Right? And God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. So the Israelites celebrate Passover to remember what God did delivering them from Egypt. Passover. So Passover is the first feast of the year. Now next up comes this feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And this happens the day after the Sabbath, after Passover. Okay? The day after the first Sabbath, after Passover. Feast of First Fruits. And what happens on this day? They offer the first fruits of the barley harvest. Right? The barley harvest. Right? That's offered to God as a thanksgiving. Okay? So Feast of First Fruits. And then next comes the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks. 
And this comes 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. 50 days. And what happens on this day? They offer the first fruit of the wheat harvest. Wheat. They take it, they bake bread, they bring it and they offer it to God. So that's the Feast of Wheat. And then there's a series of three other festivals later in the year. Right? This is in the seventh month. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets. So on this day, they blow trumpets in the land and then there's a day of rest. The next one is the Day of Atonement, right? the holiest day in the year. Uh, Yom Kippur, we still celebrate it today. And on this day, the priest will make atonement for the people right? and for the tabernacle. And the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Sukkot, which they still celebrate today as well. And on this day, it's quite fun. They actually build these little tents or booths and they stay inside. Right? To remember that when they came out of Egypt in the wilderness, they were also staying in tents. So the series of festivals. Now you're wondering what on earth, uh, you know, what, what does this mean for all of us, right? This is back then. The amazing part is that if you look back at the Old Testament, in light of the New Testament, we realize that Israel's festivals actually foreshadow Christ's work, both in his first and his second coming. Passover. We know that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. First Corinthians 5 tells us in no uncertain terms, Christ, our Passover lamb. The Last Supper was a Passover meal. Right? And Christ said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Right? This is the language of a sacrifice, the Passover lamb. So Christ is our Passover lamb. Now second, the Feast of first fruits, and this is where it starts to get very interesting. When talking about the resurrection of Christ, all four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say the same thing. It happened on the first day of the week. In other words, it happened on the first day after the Sabbath, after Passover. What does that correspond to? That corresponds to the Feast of First Fruits in the Old Testament. You see what is happening here. Paul says Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Right, what does he mean? When you are a farmer and you see the first fruits coming, right, it is like a deposit. Imagine it's like a deposit. It is a guarantee that more fruits are going to come later. In the same way, Christ's resurrection is a guarantee and an assurance that one day we will be resurrected like him. Christ's resurrection is a guarantee and an assurance that one day we will be resurrected like him. So Christ is the first fruit. But it doesn't end there. What's next? The Feast of Weeks. Well, I gave the answer. What happened 50 days after Christ's resurrection in the New Testament? Do you remember? 50 days. Pentecost. Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. Actually, Pentecost is actually the Greek word for the Feast of Weeks. Right? Pentecost means 50th. What happened on that day? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. And Paul, when he talks about it, he, he uses something very interesting in Romans chapter 8. Verse 23, he says, We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. You recall on the Feast of Weeks, they would offer the first fruits of the wheat harvest. You know, a few, week, a few sermons ago, Pastor Chi reminded us that the Holy Spirit is resident within us. Resident within us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul reminds us that He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies his spirit who dwells in you. In a sense, our bodies are already dead because of sin. Paul says that in Romans. But the Holy Spirit gives us new life. 
the Holy Spirit gives us new life, even now. It is like a foretaste of our future resurrection body. A foretaste. And that is why Paul can say right, that we have the first fruits. Okay. So the first few festivals foreshadow Jesus' first coming. Okay. I don't have time to talk about the next three today, right, um, except to say briefly that they foreshadow Jesus' second coming. Okay, his return, the final judgment, right, the final new creation when God dwells with man. What I want you to catch is that this is the grand cosmic story that God is doing in this world. And where are we? EPH 2019, where are we? We are here. We are living in the in-between, right? the in-between period, between Christ's first coming and His second coming. We look back and we remember what Christ has done, and we look forward to His return. So two important points to remember. Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. It is a guarantee of our future resurrection. And second, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, a foretaste of our resurrection body. We can be certain of our future resurrection because our faith is tied to Christ the first fruits. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit and we know this is all part of God's cosmic plan from the beginning. Right, this is our Christian hope. But some of you may be wondering, okay, this is nice to know, this is encouraging, but actually, so what? What, what can we actually do? Right? Just wait, law. Just wait, law. I mean, Christ is going to come again one day. Right? So we just wait for His coming. Everything will be made right. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus talks about His return. And He says that no one knows when that will be. Right? Remember? Only the Father knows. Even Jesus Himself doesn't know. And then in the next chapter, chapter 25, he tells us a very interesting parable, the parable of the talents. There's a master who goes away on a long journey and he calls his three servants to himself. He gives each of them a certain number of talents or money. This is money in that time. According to their ability. And he, and he just goes for his journey. So the first servant takes his, his talents, his money, and he goes and invests it, he trades with it. And he gains back an equivalent amount. So he's doubled the master's money. Okay? The second servant does the same. He takes his talents, he goes and invests it, he trades it, and he gets back an equivalent amount. So he has also doubled his master's money. But the third servant was different. The third servant dug a hole in the ground, and he buried his talents so that it would be safe until his master comes back. And when the master returned, he commended the first two servants. He said, well done good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. But the third servant, he punished very severely. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. You wicked and slothful servant. Very strong words. Now we can learn many things from this parable, but I want to focus on just one thing. All three servants knew that the master will come back one day. All three servants knew that the master will come back one day. But they acted differently. The first two servants took Master's money, invested it. The third servant said, just wait, Lord. Just wait. Wait for him to come back. Friends, there's an object lesson for us here this morning. The knowledge of Christ's return, the knowledge of Christ's resurrection, does, it doesn't make us passive. It brings us added, added responsibility. This hope we have in Christ does not make us passive. Right? It shapes the way we live here and now. 
does not make us passive. It shapes the way we live the here and now. We move from being just passive passengers, passive spectators, as I think um, Pastor Chino was saying just now, to purposeful participants. We are now purposeful participants in this grand cosmic story of God's salvation. What is our purpose? We are now God's first fruits in the world. We are now God's first fruits in the world. What do I mean? In James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I want you to imagine that you're a farmer. You try very hard. I know we don't they are not farmers, but try very hard. Say you're a farmer. And you look out over your barren field. You're waiting. You're waiting for the harvest to come. And actually, you're not sure if it will come. Right? You wonder, will the, will the crops come this year? Will I have food to feed my family at home? And actually, at that time, there were many reasons why crops would fail and not come. And then one day, you see the first fruits appear. They stop. You see it appear. You can lift your eyes to heaven and give thanks because you know that this year your family is not going to starve. You're going to have food on the table. Have Friends, because we are certain of our resurrection, we can live as people with hope. We can live as people with hope. And when others see us, when others see the hope that is within us, they will want to know this hope for themselves. This is what it means to be God's first fruits in the world. We live as people with hope. And I hope that will be your main takeaway from today's message. We live as people with hope. But what does it actually mean to live as a people with hope? You're probably wondering. And so let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, um, the, the last part of the section, which is from verses 31 to 34. And let me read it for you. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your face. Reflecting on these verses, I want to suggest that there are three ways that we can live as people with hope. And I summarize it by three Ps. Perspective, pluckiness, and purity. Perspective, pluckiness, purity. First of all, perspective. We live in a world that has no hope beyond death. A world that actually is much like Corinth. A world that doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. A world that doesn't believe in the resurrection of Christ. And so its motto actually is the same as in verse 32. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. At, in Paul's time, there was this group of people called the Epicureans. Epicureans. And their philosophy in life, this is the founder Epicurean. And their philosophy in life was very simple. Derive the greatest amount of pleasure I can in my lifetime. Right? The greatest amount of pleasure I can in my lifetime. And today we have this a similar philosophy in our world. It's called hedonism. Right? The pursuit of pleasure or happiness 
as the highest good, the highest aim of human life. Hedonism. And actually, if you think about it, that's perfectly understandable, right? Because if this life is the only one we have, there's nothing beyond death, then we might as well enjoy this life as much as we can, right? If this life is all I have, let me just enjoy it. Right? YOLO, right? You only live once, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask a question. Are we being hedonists in our own life, even as Christians? Are we spending our lives, our time, our efforts just chasing pleasures, the pleasures of this world? In John Piper's book called Don't Waste Your Life, he wrote this story. He said, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. A couple, consider this story. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, a boat. They play softball and they collect shells. They collect shells. Picture them on the day of judgment before our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Lord, see my shells. See my shells. That is a tragedy. I'll be the first to confess to you, right? Um, there was a time in my life where I literally lived the beach. I literally lived the beach. How many of you know what is a Makan Sutra? You may not know. This is, uh, this is before the days of I eat, I shoot, I post, and uh, what else do you have? Uh, Lady Tam, Miss Tamjak, whatever, right? It's a book that basically contains all the best hawker food in Singapore, right? With different ratings. Okay? And I used to have one of those books in my car, in the front compartment. And in my free time, you know, during lunchtime, during lecture, I mean, between lectures and all that, I would actually flip through the book and say, okay, I want to try this today. Right? And I would drive like far and wide, you know, to Serangoon, to East Coast, to Bedok, all over the place just to eat nice food. And I think when my wife met me, she probably thought I was nuts, right? She probably thought I was, I was, uh, I was crazy. But that, that was my life. And I also love to travel, right? Um, I, I love to travel. It brought me a lot of pleasure. And uh, I would spend a lot of time just thinking about where's my next holiday, where's my next vacation, where am I going to go? And I think it's quite common still, right, today. Right, that when you get together with people, with friends, a lot of times they're just talking about what was the latest nice food I've eaten, the latest nice cafe or restaurant I've been to, or the latest holiday I've been, right, the next exotic destination. If I was an alien from Mars and I peeped on Facebook or Instagram, right, I would probably think that on Earth, holidays and food are the most important things in life right, because that's what people are posting about most of the time. And that brings me to Paul's next comment. He says, bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. What does he mean? I don't think he means that as Christians, we shouldn't mix with other people like you know, non-Christians or people who think differently. Because God calls us to be the salt, the light of the world. But I think we need to be very, very careful about who we allow to influence our worldview and our morals, and our values. Be very careful about who we allow to influence our worldview and you know, in the age of social media, I think this is especially important, right? Because social media bombards our lives and our minds day in, day out, day and night, 24-7. And humans are social animals. We know that, right? We all tend to follow the crowd. We don't want to be different. And when everyone is just talking about pleasure, about eating, drinking, and be merry, it is very, very easy to just go along and follow. We need to be very careful. 
Paul uses a very interesting term in verse 34. He says, drunken stupor. Okay? Who here has been drunk before? Okay, I know you all won't confess this. Okay? I don't want to know. Right? Um, I haven't, for the record, I have not. Right? Um, but what happens when you drink alcohol? I'm sure many of you have, have drunk alcohol before. When you first start drinking it, you feel very good. Right? Your mind starts to relax. You start to forget your bad day and all the worries you have. Your body loosens up. Right? You start to laugh. But as you drink more and more, what happens? Your brain starts to slow down. It starts to get numb. You start to say all sorts of weird things that you're like, what, what did I just say? Or you start to do silly things. It's a bit like that with pleasure. When you first taste pleasure, it tastes really good. You enjoy it. But as you take more and more of it, you start to get numb. All of a sudden, you enjoy it less and less, and yet you need it more and more. You need it more and more, but you enjoy it less and less. That's how addiction starts. And after a while, you enter into what I call, or what Elder Shing has called, a numbed existence, using pleasure and self-indulgence to numb a purposeless life. Let me repeat that, a numbed existence, using pleasure and self-indulgence to numb a purposeless life. And friends, let me tell you, I have been there. I know what that feels like. On the surface, a man can have every pleasure that money can buy. Yet deep inside, he's numb, he's empty, he's lost. In contrast, we need to live as people with perspective, a different perspective, an eternal perspective. We know that there is hope, there is life beyond death. And therefore, in our daily decisions, in our actions, in our priorities, in our values, we show the world that there is more to life than just temporal pleasures. There is much more to life than just eating, drinking, and being merry. We ask ourselves, how can I live in a way that always brings glory to God? rather than just pleasing ourselves. And let me share with you as well, living with this perspective, it brings the true and lasting joy that the numbed existence of pleasure can never bring. True and lasting joy. So this is the first perspective. Now second, luckiness. Who knows what this word means? Anyway, if you don't know what it means, basically it's, it's the same thing as bravery. Right? Um, and I, I confess to you, I chose this word, pluckiness, partly because I was struggling really hard to find a word that starts with P, right? Um, that, that means the same thing as bravery. And if you can think of one, please tell me, because I couldn't. But at the same time, I actually like this word a lot, pluckiness, because it conveys a certain sense of audacity, right? audacity that we dare to take risks for God. We dare to take risks for God. You know, Paul says in verse 31, I die every day. Right? I die every day. What does he mean? He doesn't literally mean that, of course, he dies every day. But what he means is that every day when he goes out, he actually wonders, will this day be my last day on earth? Will this day be my last day on earth? But still, he takes risks. That doesn't stop him. He takes risks, all for the sake of the gospel. You know, he said, I, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Friends, this is, these are the words of a man who can stare death in the eye still go on without blinking. How? Why? Because Christ's resurrection gives him hope. In Philippians 1 verse 21, he says, To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Friends, are we willing to take risks like Paul? Are we willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel? Or are we just playing it safe? 
And some of us, some of you may have heard the story of how God called um, my wife and I to leave our jobs and to prepare to serve in Nepal. And many people have told us that you know we are very brave. But to be very honest, when God first called us, right, we were terrified. We were terrified. Right? We had no idea what, what was going to happen. We had no idea what to expect. But now we can stand here and tell you with all our hearts that it is such a joy, such a privilege, such an honour to follow God and to serve Him. Truly, there is no greater joy. We're not losing out. We're gaining so much more in return. And we are so excited to see what God is going to do in our lives. And already we've seen so many amazing things happen way beyond what we could ever imagine. We can be bold not because we are brave, but because we know our Lord Jesus is risen. Our Lord Jesus is risen and He is reigning on high. And He is sovereign over our lives. If anything should ever happen to us, we know that there is something beyond death. There is hope beyond death. We are fully assured of the life that is to come. It is far greater than anything we ever complete. So, luckiness. And the third is purity. Paul ends this section by saying, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. Do not go on sinning. What sins is he talking about? Actually, we already know because the whole of 1 Corinthians has been talking about it. right? Sins like pride, conceit, divisions in the church, sexual immorality, idolatry, gluttony, envy, etc. Our beliefs and actions must be conformed to the gospel of Christ. But you know, friends, God knows that we struggle with holiness and purity. All of us do. And we stumble and we fall. And so often we fall short. God knows. But the good news is this. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, our lives can demonstrate the fruit I read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Everything that we've studied in the past few months First Corinthians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step Friends, if we keep in step with the Spirit, He will transform us from glory to glory. He will transform us to be more and more like our Lord Jesus. This is the hope that keeps us going, pursuing purity, holiness, until we see Him again. So you see, actually, 1 Corinthians 15 is not just an afternote to the the letter. It's not just an intellectual argument about resurrection. Actually, it's the climax the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. It is the foundation of who we are as Christians and how we are to live. We can be certain of our future resurrection because our faith is tied to Christ. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit and we know this is all part of God's cosmic plan from the beginning. 
this is our Christian hope. And we can move from being passive passengers right, to purposeful participants, living with perspective, luckiness, purity. And in this way, we are God's first fruits to the world, bringing hope. Closing, I want to share with you the story, a real-life story of a young man called Andrew Hui. He passed away quite recently. I believe his life and story actually captures what it means for us to live as hope, people with hope. Now, Andrew was a talented young man. He served at church as a worship leader. He had a promising career at a bank. He joined the banking industry because it was financially very lucrative. And... At that time, he didn't really enjoy the work, but at that time, he valued money above fulfillment because he liked to travel and experience different cultures, different food. He worked really long hours, like 12 hours a day, just to climb the corporate ladder. And his, his career was just about to take off. But last year, at the age of 31, disaster struck. He was diagnosed with cancer. And this cancer was early stage, right? It was supposed to be curable. And so he went for chemotherapy. But the chemotherapy failed. It didn't work. And the cancer progressed very rapidly. Andrew struggled with God. He was angry. He was disappointed. He told God, is this how you treat my servant? He had terrible side effects from the chemotherapy. He had nausea. He had lethargy. He had hair loss. He was so weak that he couldn't even leave his bed. But through it all, God came through for Andrew. He experienced a profound sense of peace and acceptance of death, reflecting on God's deep love. In an interview shortly before his death, he said this, I quote, I have zero fear of death now. When I close my eyes for the last time, I am more certain about being with him than I can have in boarding a plane and being assured of reaching my destination. He spoke of a stingless death. Stingless death. Wow. Before his death, his overwhelming desire was to share the gospel with his loved ones. And he said, I want to share the peace that I have with them. So that when they come to the end of their lives, which may happen at any time, they will know of a peace that money or toil or relationships or health or wealth cannot bring. Andrew returned home to the Lord on 31st August this year just a week ago. And in his final moments on his deathbed, he was heard proclaiming these three words, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Two weeks before he died, he wrote a Facebook post. I want us to listen to his words to us. Though my armour is battle-worn and broken, my peace remains. As sure as the sun rises on the dawn, my destination awaits me. Death is but a gateway to my eternal home, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no tears, and always, always peace. I will be waiting for you, for all of you, with the widest smile, to hear all your stories and all your adventures in life. Live the life that I could not have, and may our days be filled with joy, and an eternal hope that transcends death. Live the life that I could not have. May our days be filled with joy, peace, and eternal hope that transcends death.
My friends, this is what a life resurrected with Christ looks like. This is what it means to live as God's first people. People with hope. Can I invite the musicians to come up? And, um, I just want to leave some time for us to respond. Quieten your hearts with me. Close your eyes. If the Holy Spirit is a message for all of us this morning. And I believe God wants us to search our hearts. Allow Him to search our hearts. Are we wasting our life? This life that God has given us, are we wasting it? Are we just being passive passengers? Are we living no differently from the rest of this world? Just searching for pleasure? Seeking to eat, drink, marry? Or are we living as purposeful participants? Living our lives for the glory of God? Seeking to point others to the hope we have in Jesus? Are we willing to take risks Are we willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel, for His purposes in our lives? Or are we just playing it safe, afraid to lose like what we have, like the servant who buried his talents in the ground? Are we willing to take risks for Christ? Are we living in sin? Do our lives and our actions conform to the gospel of Christ? they reflect the glory of God. Friends, the good news is that when we come to Him in repentance, the broken and a contrite spirit, confess our sins before Him. He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to forgive. And His Holy Spirit will work in us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Transform Him into your, transform us into your, His likeness. Friends, I want to give us all a chance this morning to just respond to God. God is saying something this morning. If you feel that perhaps I'm not living life as I should be, perhaps I'm wasting my life, perhaps I'm just being passive, perhaps my priorities, my values are all in the wrong places, I'm no different from the world around me. This morning, if God is calling you to respond, don't ignore. Don't ignore. I want to invite you, if anyone wants to just give your life again to God, just rededicate yourself to this altar. To say, Lord, I want to live a life. I want to live a life that counts for eternity. I want to live a life with hope. The world will see my life. I want that hope for themselves. I invite you to respond to God. If you'd like to come up to the front and someone pray with you, that as well, or just respond in the quietness of your heart.
Friends, we have this privilege of being part of this tremendous story. This tremendous thing that God is doing. Are we just going to be spectators? Are we just going to sit back and be passive and watch? Or do we want to work with our God? Do we want to participate in the work that He is doing? There's no greater honour, no greater privilege to serve Him, follow Him. Part of those purposes. All right.
altar is open if anyone would like to respond to God. If not, you can just respond to Him and ask God, thank God for the hope of the resurrection spirit. Lord, I thank you. Thank you that today you remind us about the hope that we have. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the first fruit. You rose from the dead. You overcome the most difficult thing in life, death. And therefore, Lord, we have hope. Therefore, we have courage, we have strength in whatever things that we are facing. And also, Lord, therefore, we have a purpose to live not just for this life, but for, for eternity. And then one day, you will come back for us. And we thank you for this. And I pray that today you remind us to live our life in light of eternity, to live our life with a bravery, and to live our life with purity. Areas that God, you are dealing with us, I pray that you will help us to depend on the Spirit to deal with it. And we thank you. Thank you that, Lord, we are not alone. You are with us. Thank you, Lord. And now, may the God of hope fill all of you here with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.